If you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open it up to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. As we work our way through this book, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you and you want to help yourself to one that's in the racks there in front of you, you're uh, encouraged to do that. And if you don't have a Bible, you call your own, uh, take that one home, put your name in it. We would love for you to have a Bible. Kind of into that. So I want to get at today's topic uh, by talking to you for a second about um, problems, which I'm sure you're enthusiastic about hearing. Um, but it's an interesting thing about problems. Uh, as, as I've lived now, uh, low these many decades, um, I've discovered that we humans are, are often not very good at uh, knowing which problems are big problems and which problems are not very big. Uh, for example, I remember in high school, <laughs> I had this history class, and the guy who taught it was really interesting. Let's just leave it there. And um, he gave us a pop, not quiz, a pop unit exam. It's kind of like a pop midterm. He did not tell us this was coming. Nobody studied for it. Virtually everybody in the class flunked, uh, including me, which, uh, you know, I was a, I was a pretty good student. I, I got A's and B's all the time. And so I, I just thought this was a huge problem because I'm going to wind up with a C in the class and it's going to affect my, my high school GPA. But, you know, in the 40 years or so since then, I can honestly say that literally no one cares about my high school GPA. <laughs> I was convinced it was a big problem, not a big problem at all. On the other hand, about 16 years ago, I discovered a little lump under my jaw and assumed it was not a big problem and actually had a couple of doctors assure me that it wasn't a big problem. And it turned out to be a form of cancer, which if it had not been treated, would have taken my life. So it didn't seem like a big problem. It was a big problem. And this kind of poor judgment about how serious problems, this, this judgment about problems, is just rampant in our world today. We are just not very good at deciding uh, what, what's a big problem and what isn't. Uh, if you took a survey today and you were just to ask people this question, what do you think the biggest problem facing humanity is? I'm guessing you'd hear a lot of different answers. Uh, could be something like, well, you know, the foreign policy thing, the Korea, North Korea or Iran getting nuclear weapons. Uh, maybe it's a health care issue or homelessness or the economy. Uh, or racial relations, and, or some other difficult social problem, of which there are many, uh, lots of choices there. But I think that many people would not correctly identify the biggest problem we face, because for most people, it doesn't feel like a big problem. Other problems in our lives feel a lot bigger. I know that's often true for me. And the reason this matters so much 
is that the gospel, this is what we're really focusing in on in the, group, in the book of Galatians, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of how God solves our biggest problem, which is this. How can God, who is righteous, have a relationship with people who are unrighteous. This is a much, much bigger problem than than many people suspect uh, because it doesn't feel like a big problem to them. You know, um, many people assume that whether or not we have relationship with God, whether or not we know God, um, that's really not a big deal because life feels pretty good to them most of the time And as far as they're concerned, you know, God doesn't really enter into that. Well, there's a problem with that idea, and here it is. Um, Everything good comes from God. Acts 17.25, God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything else. So literally, every good thing in our lives, every good thing, think about your life, think about the things you enjoy, think about the things that bring you happiness, pleasure, whatever, every good thing. So the people that we love, the activities we enjoy, health, pleasure, beauty, music, all the wonders of creation, pets, everything, all that makes life enjoyable comes from God. And we all enjoy all kinds of good things regardless of how righteous or unrighteous we are. Jesus said this in Matthew 5.45, God makes his sun shine, on, uh, sunrise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust, the, the righteous and the unrighteous. <clears throat> so we might think, okay, so what's the problem? God's just good to everybody. Well, the same Jesus who told us that, He also told us that this current situation where God does this is temporary. It won't last. In fact, it can't last. There is going to be a day of judgment. Uh, Ian McIntosh referred to this last week. There's going to be a day of judgment when every wrong is made right, and all evil is finally and completely accounted for. This has to happen because God is righteous and must do what is right. And letting evil, letting unrighteousness persist is not right. And that's a big problem for you and me. Because we're not righteous. Meaning we do not conform to God's perfect standard of goodness. We lie. We break promises. We cheat. We lust. We mistreat people who are made in God's image. We act selfishly, arrogantly, foolishly, and so on. And, and we might tell ourselves, well, you know, that's not that big of a problem. 
lot of people think this. It's not that big of a problem. I'm not that bad. Lots of people are worse. I'm not totally unrighteous. You know, just, just a little unrighteous. Well, let's run with that for a minute. How many bad things do you have to do to make yourself unrighteous enough that you are unfit for a relationship with the all-righteous God? Imagine you have a nice steel chain that you can use to do things like, I don't know, pull a car out of a ditch or something. A nice chain. How many links of the chain do you have to break to ruin the chain? Just one. Or imagine you have a glass of pure water. How many drops of raw sewage do you have to put in that to render it unfit to drink? Or you know that five-gallon jug that's out there, the dispenser. In the... How many drops of sewage would it be okay to put into that? How many drops would it take to ruin it? Just one. One sin makes us unfit for God. Well, yeah, but can't God just forgive us? Can't he just, you know, I think it was Richard Dawkins asks a question this way. He's an atheist and likes to mock uh, Christianity and other faiths. If God wants to just forgive people, why didn't he just wave his hands, so to speak, and do it? Why doesn't he just say, hey, you're all forgiven? We have to get this. We have to get this. He can't do that. He can't do that. Good and evil are not arbitrary things. God doesn't just randomly label some things as good and some things as evil as if it could be otherwise if he just said so. No. We're talking here about the very nature of reality. Goodness is the very essence of God's being. His character, his nature, who he is. And evil is anything contrary to who he is, to his character. The two cannot mix. The righteous God cannot have relationship with unrighteous people. And this is why the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the greatest, most important, most significant wonderful message you will ever hear or ever share because the gospel is the message of how God makes unrighteous people righteous without violating his own righteous character. You know, people often ask, how could a loving God, how could a God of love send anybody to hell? But see, there's another question and it's just as serious How could a righteous God let anybody who's unrighteous into heaven? And the wonder of the gospel, the glory of the gospel, 
is that both God's love and his justice are completely satisfied in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible word for this, for how God makes righteous or unrighteous people righteous, is justification, or the verb justify. And it's, it's the terminology of a courtroom. It's, it's when a judge bangs his gavel on the bench and says, not guilty. And that is what God does for us when we put our trust in Jesus Christ. And there is no other way that it happens. Okay, that is the point of today's passage, which we're finally getting to, in Galatians 2. I'm just going to look at two verses today, verses 15 and 16 of chapter 2. And Paul here is continuing, if, if you uh, caught last week's message, and if you didn't, everything's available on the website, philida.org, you can go there and check it out. Um, but how Paul had to confront the Apostle Peter and other Jewish Christians who were uh, doing something they shouldn't have done. And he's, he's continuing that conversation here, beginning at verse 15. So Paul is speaking to Peter and fellow Jewish Christians like himself. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. I'll explain that in a minute. Yet we know that a person is not justified, there's the word, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul here is getting to the very core, the very center of the gospel message with this truth about justification, that God justifies us completely and only through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to unpack this a bit because this is really important that we get this. Uh, It's important for a lot of reasons. For one thing, uh, it helps us know what the true gospel is and not fall for false gospels and such. Uh, But I think there's something even more uh, significant just in terms of our personal lives, and it's this. I really believe this. The better you grasp this truth and hold on to this truth, not just in in your mind, but in your very heart of hearts, the more gratitude you will feel and the more freedom you will feel knowing that God accepts you fully and he approves of you completely and he is for you totally if you've been justified by faith in Christ. So, we look at two things you need to know about justification. First one, 
being right with God is a gift. Everybody say that with me. Being right with God is a gift. That's what being justified means. Being declared right with God completely. You are completely right with the all-righteous God when he justifies you. You have his full acceptance, his full approval, and he is 100% for you all the time, no matter what else is happening in your life. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, in union with Jesus. Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You go read it in the context, a clear implication is, yes, God is 100% for us when we're united to Christ by faith. So when you put your faith in Jesus to justify you, you are completely acquitted of all charges against you including all those sins that you would like to forget about and you hope never, ever, ever see the light of day. All charges completely acquitted and you now enjoy all of the benefits of being regarded as completely righteous and treated as completely righteous by God. Let me say that again because I'm expecting like... (gasps) Ooh, ha, something. If you're justified by faith in Jesus, think about this. You enjoy all of the benefits of being as righteous as Jesus in God's eyes. But now, the reason you're probably like hesitating is because you're thinking to yourself, how can that possibly be true? How could that possibly be true? Because you know you're not righteous. You know it. I know it. How can God possibly regard you as righteous as Jesus? How can he possibly treat you as 100% righteous when you know you're not? I mean, what is this? Is the gospel some kind of God pretends thing? He just kind of fools himself into, well, yeah, yeah, you're righteous. How can this be true? Here's the gospel answer. When you are united to Jesus by faith, God regards his righteousness as yours. And he regards all of your unrighteousness as fully accounted for on the cross of Jesus. When Jesus took it to the cross for you. So his unrighteousness put on him, his righteousness put on you. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, in union with him, we might become the righteousness of God. It's a judicial verdict. It's a judicial verdict which God applies to us when we put our faith in Jesus. Now, when you hear that, well, it's judicial. Don't think that means it's not real. 
It's totally real, okay? It's just as real as if it happened in a human courtroom. You know, if a person's accused of a crime and the jury returns a verdict of not guilty and the judge confirms it, hits the gavel, says not guilty, at that point, acquitted, that person goes free. It's real, even though it's judicial. It's completely real. And it's true and it's real, listen, even if the person really is guilty. Now, that really bothers us, and it should, because it's unjust. It is unjust for a guilty person to get off. Well, that's never true in God's courtroom. That never happens in God's courtroom. And the reason it's not unjust is because the penalty for our crimes was completely satisfied, paid for, meted out, not, not on us, but on Jesus on the cross for us. This is not God ignoring our guilt. You know what this is? This is Jesus taking our guilt suffering its full penalty on the cross in our place. That's justification. It's real. And it's amazing. Now, justification is glorious, but there's more. See, because Jesus, you know, why did Jesus came? He came to save us. Well, what does that mean? It means more than him just, you know, getting us off the hook legally, so to speak, uh, acquitting us of our crimes. He came to save us completely. So the judicial righteous, the judicial righteousness of justification, that's not the end of the story. Salvation is bigger than justification. Okay, I want to show you a chart here because some of you love charts. So here you go. And I think it's, it's on your note sheet, and you need to fill in the blanks here. So we could talk about the three tenses of salvation, okay? Meaning past tense, present tense, future tense. The past tense of salvation is justification, what I've been talking about. And it means, I have been saved, I have been justified from sin's penalty. Okay, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Uh, having been justified by faith, we have peace, wholeness, shalom with God. So I have been saved from sin's penalty. Now the present tense of salvation Uh, Theologians use the term sanctification. That's a big word that means becoming or or God making us holy, becoming holy. And the present tense of salvation is once you've been justified, this is where we're at. I am being saved from sin's power. As I trust in Christ and am part of his people and we help and encourage one another, he is working in us to overcome sin's power. And then there's a future tense of salvation, which we call glorification. And I can't wait. I will be saved from sin's presence. 
sin as a reality will be gone. So salvation, so justification, that's judicial righteousness. Sanctification, you could call that practical day-to-day righteousness. And glorification, complete righteousness. Justification, so salvation is bigger than justification, but it has to start there. It has to start. That's the beginning point. Because until you are no longer condemned by God's justice, you can't know him. You can't have relationship with him. You cannot experience his transforming work in your life. So justification is where salvation has to begin. And the point here is that justification is a gift you receive. It's not something you achieve. It's a gift you receive. Being right with God is a gift. Now notice how this is emphasized here. Uh, For one thing, Paul makes it clear that justification, being right with God, has nothing to do with your background. Nothing to do with your background. Now he's having this conversation Remembering the time he confronted Peter because Peter and these other Jewish Christians were kind of perpetuating this separation between Jew and Gentile, which Jesus came to tear down the wall of separation through his death and resurrection, and they were perpetuating it. And see, Gentiles, Jews considered Gentiles hopeless sinners because they didn't have the law. They didn't have God's law. They didn't have the temple. They didn't have the system of sacrifices for being right with God. So there's no way they could possibly be righteous. They're just hopeless sinners. But what Paul is saying here to his fellow Jewish Christians is, even though you've got the law, it doesn't matter because you don't keep it. You don't obey it. Trying to keep the law does not justify anybody. So what this means is, it doesn't matter who your daddy is. It doesn't matter what family you were born into, Jewish, Christian, whatever. That, does, that contributes nothing toward your justification. Neither does being an American, or a Republican, or a Democrat, or an Independent. Your background, religious, ethnic, political, national, racial heritage, it makes no difference whatsoever when it comes to being right with God. So if you're proud of your heritage, and you know, some heritages are really great. Some heritage, maybe not so great, depending on the family you came from and all the whatever there, difficult, better, whatever. There may be practical advantages and disadvantages, but when it comes to being right with God, no difference. And the same is true of your performance. Not just your background, but your performance. Your keeping of the rules. Last line of verse 16. By works of the law, no one will be justified. Now you might be interested to know about the Greek behind that expression, no one. You know what the Greek really means? No one. No one. Not hardly anyone. No one. Absolutely no one gets right with God based on their performance. 
So no amount of good deeds that you do. And see, we all, we all know people who live really good lives. And we wonder, should we share the gospel with them? Because I don't think they know Jesus, but boy, they sure live good lives. They sure do lots of nice things. Yeah, but nobody gets right with God based on their good deeds. No amount of good deeds, no amount of charitable gifts, no amount of worship services attended or Sunday school classes attended or Awana awards earned or Bible verses memorized or rules kept will ever give anybody right standing with God. Why? Because it's a gift. And gifts are received. Never earned. I know there are people who give gifts based on your performance. But what they don't realize is if it's based on performance, it's not a gift. See, when you earn something, who gets the credit? If you earn something, who gets the credit? You do. When you receive a gift, who gets the credit? The giver. And God has ordained it. He wants all of the credit to go to the giver, his son Jesus Christ, and zero credit to go to the receivers, us. So, how then do we gain right standing with God? How do we experience it? How do we experience justification? By receiving it as a gift. An unearned gift that you cannot earn and do not deserve. See, that's what faith does. This is where faith comes in. Faith means receiving it from Jesus as a gift. Because faith is not a work. Faith is not a work. Don't, don't pat yourself on the back and say, good job, you have faith, you've done really well. Faith is when I turn away from my work and I put my full confidence, my hope, my trust in the work of another, Jesus I put my hope in the only person who can make me right with God. Jesus, who died, who rose again in order to give me his righteousness as a gift. Okay, now this is elaborated more fully in the book of Romans. If you think of Galatians as being like an appetizer, the book of Romans is the full meal. Much more explanation here. But look what it says, chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We just read that in Galatians. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested, revealed, made known, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through, what? Faith in Jesus Christ for all who... Believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So this is where salvation begins. When we are justified, not by our righteousness, 
but the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us as a gift we receive by faith. Faith unites us to Christ and now his righteousness is counted as ours. It's as if he clothes us in his righteousness. Actually, it's not as if. He does. So now God is 100% for us. Not because he's playing games, not because he's playing pretend, but because we're in union with Christ and his righteousness is now ours. That's where it begins. But as I mentioned, that's not the whole story. That's not the end of the story. There's one other thing I want to say uh, about justification we need to know, and I'm just going to mention it briefly because we're going to be unpacking this in weeks to come. But it's important to hear it now. Being right with God is a gift. Second, being right with God begins to change you. Being right with God begins to change you. So, justification is the beginning of God's work in us, His saving work, but it's not the end. And we're going to see this, you can see it especially in the second half of verse 20 here in chapter 2. Notice what Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So God justifies us by faith in Jesus so we can live in relationship with him. It's so much bigger than just being forgiven of our sins. Too many people think that's what it's all about to be a Christian. Well, I'm, you know, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. Yeah, that's good. But that's not the end of it. The, the point of being forgiven is to get the sin out of the way so you can have a relationship with God and live in relationship with God. And the truth we're going to unpack in weeks to come is that the same God who justifies us by faith in Jesus also sanctifies us by faith in Jesus. Same dynamic. To sanctify means to make us holy, which means to make us more and more and more like Jesus in all kinds of practical ways. How we think, how we feel, how we live. And God does that as we continue to rely on Jesus by faith. Now, it's, <clears throat> I said it was important to know this. Here's why. And it's especially important for church-going people like you. It helps us avoid a terrible mistake, which is thinking that we're justified by faith because we agree with the facts of the gospel. Uh, one of my biggest fears is that somebody's going to hear me teach that we are justified, we are made right with God through faith in Jesus and that only, and, and they will assume that they are justified because they agree with the facts of the gospel. They confuse, they're confused about what faith is. And so they, they think, whoa, okay, cool. Yeah, Jesus is the Son of God, I agree with that. Yeah, he came to die on a cross for our sins, I agree with that. He rose from the dead, I agree with that. Then I must be right with God. Okay, agreement with the facts of the gospel is important. It's essential. But faith is more than that. Faith is not agreement with Jesus. Faith is relying on Jesus. 
Okay, we're not saved by giving mental assent to the promises of God. We're saved by putting our hope, our confidence in the promises of God. So there's a lot of ways you can illustrate it, and I've heard different ways. Um, you know, an old one, which I still kind of like, is this story about a guy who, a tightrope walker, and he stretches a tightrope across, I don't know, it's Niagara Falls or some canyon somewhere. And he goes back and forth several times, and then he gets a wheelbarrow, and he rolls, rolls the wheelbarrow back and forth. And there's a crowd there, and he says, hey, how many of you believe I can do that again? I can walk across the tightrope pushing the wheelbarrow. And everybody goes, yeah, you can do it. He says, okay, so who wants to volunteer to sit in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> Faith is getting in the wheelbarrow. It's not just believing the wheelbarrow will make it. Or faith, if you, if you have a chair up here and you say, do you believe this chair will hold you? That's not faith, if you agree. Faith is when you sit in the chair. And when you actually rely on Jesus, put your confidence in Jesus, and begin to trust him and learn what that means, because that's a big deal. <clears throat> Learning more and more, that's why we need each other, and that's why we gather every week and meet in small groups and all the things that we do so that we can understand and learn and live and help each other. What does it mean to rely on Jesus, really, in real life? That he be supreme in my life. When you begin to rely on Jesus, he begins to change you. Once he justifies you, he begins his long, patient, sometimes agonizingly slow work of sanctifying you. Because a faith that doesn't change you, a faith that makes no difference in how you live, is a faith that isn't real. God makes you right with Him by faith so you can know Him, so you can live in relationship with Him, so you can be changed by Him day by day by day until he calls you home. It's slow. Lots of ups and downs. But it's real. So I want to draw this to a conclusion with just a few questions. I want you to think about these things, okay? The first question is, Have you received the gift of being right with God by faith in Jesus? Have you received that gift from Christ? Have you said, yes, I need it. I know I need it. I can't be right with God without it. Lord Jesus, give me that gift. Come into my life. I receive you. I receive your gift. Begin to change me. Begin to make me what you want me to be. Have you received that gift? If you haven't, This would be a perfect day to do that. And I would love to encourage you and help you with that. If you want to come and talk to me right when we're done here, I would love to do that. Or talk to the person you're with, whatever you're up for. Receive the gift. Don't keep putting it off. And if you say, well, but I've been coming to church a long time. And people are going to be, they're going to be freaked out that, that I never received that gift before. No, they won't. Well, they might be, but that's not the point. <laughs> they will jump up and down with joy, just like the angels will, because that's what Jesus says happens. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Even a well-dressed, well-groomed, gone-to-church-every-day-of-my-life sinner. 
Not every day, every week. <laughs> Receive that gift. Don't put it off. You don't know if you'll make it home. My wife got rear-ended a few weeks ago just pulling into the Philitis store. Thank God she was okay. But she didn't know it was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to happen. Don't put it off. I mean, if you have good, legitimate questions, great. Ask them. But don't, don't put it off. If you know, because you can tell right now God's going, you need my gift. Take it. Take it. You need my righteousness. I give it to you as a gift. Take it. Then receive it. Be humble enough to receive the gift. Now, if you have, do you remember, do you remind yourself that God, that it is a gift, and because you've received the gift, that God is 100% for you all the time? He is always 100% for you even if he's allowing you to go through a lot of hard stuff. He's for you. Even when you don't feel righteous, he's for you. Because God being for you is not based on what you do, it's based on what Jesus did. And third question, is your faith in Jesus changing you? However slowly, however awkwardly, is it beginning to change? Do, in other words, do you really care whether or not you're living the life Jesus wants you to live? Because if you care, that's a really good sign, even if you feel you're doing a terrible job at it. If you don't care whether it changes you or not, you, you need to talk to God about that. All right, so we're going to do that. We're going to bow for prayer, and we're going to talk to God, and I'm going to give you... a a minute or two quietly, and you talk to God about whatever you need to talk to God about, and then I will finish up. Father, this is, this is amazing truth. This is glorious truth. And you've given it to us because you want us to know you. You want us to experience your love and your approval and your being for us. And I pray if there's anybody in here who's trying to dodge your truth, I pray you would just pierce their heart with it. And for those of us who, who've known this truth, maybe understood this truth and received this truth, but we've become apathetic to it or bored by it, and the joy of it is just not gripping us, God, please get a hold of our hearts that we might rejoice and we might share it with a world in need. God, help our faith be real. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.